Trigger warning for this episode, we will be discussing the issue of slavery in America during the Civil War and the emotional, physical, and sexual trauma associated with that time. If that is a trigger for you, you may want to skip this episode entirely as there's a lot of themes in this episode that revolve around that topic. I'd also like to issue a trigger warning for suicide uh, discussion towards the end with the segment that we'll be doing. Thank you. In 2016, a new Arrowverse show premiered on CW. Featuring characters from Flash and Arrow, it existed in the shadows quietly. However, it has since gained popularity and brought the three of us together to discuss the characters and their progression from season one. This week, This Walking Dead AU Sucks Hard, Martin Stein in full Laurie Strode cosplay, Nate looks finger looking good, and what? No zombie head? Definitely don't call us heroes. We are the legends of next week. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Legends of Next Week. I'm your host, Mary. I'm your uh, I'm I am i am your host, Kate. I use she her pronouns. I also use she her pronouns. And you'll notice that this week Eden is not with us. Uh, Eden is just taking a week off for this week with some stuff going on. So just if you interact with us on Twitter or interact with her, go ahead and like just send her some fun Leonard Snart memes. She would appreciate that. Please and help. so. Yes. So give give her all the snimp. Give her, fulfill her snipping needs. Or Eddie from Stranger Things. We yes. contain volumes. <clears throat> we're of layers like an onion and so it's just kate and i this week as we look at what episode kate season two episode four abominations and this episode ladies and gentlemen and everyone else in between sucks yeah um we could say it really bites the dust insert your zombie pun of choice yeah i watched two seasons of the walking dead and then i just quit it because i got bored (laughs) and also because i knew a character i liked was gonna die so it was like "Eh, is this really worth watching anymore i'm sorry yeah i'm a pretty big horror buff we'll have a little section talking about the zombie genre at the end of the episode but like for like a good five years in the early 2010s it was just zombie saturation oh gosh everywhere it was all zombies do you do you remember that one the one movie with a zombie who ate some guy's heart and fell in love with his girl no he ate his brain and fell in love with a girlfriend then isn't that warm bodies yeah that's warm bodies i could remember the i could not remember that name yeah i remember that um world war z yeah, hey, Peter Capaldi was in that, and that's the only reason I want to watch it. Is Peter and Ruth Nego was in that too, apparently. Oh, an icon. Yes. Icon. Um, but that's the only reason I want to watch that film. And you would think an episode in Legends about zombies would be really fun. We see zombies later in I Am Legends in season five, and that's good fun. That's another um, zombie movie. But. <laughs> It is. It features into our segment at the end. Ooh. 
But the problem with this week is that we put zombies in the Civil War. And specific, and we made and interesting how we made them on the. It's, it's interesting we make them the Confederate soldiers, which, given history, is written by the victors. It's ba- it, it basically screws up history again, as we see later on. But Can shall I- we? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to mention this is definitely later in the episode. We haven't even jumped in yet, but I need to say. I do not understand how the Confederates having zombies makes them win the Civil War. Yeah, I don't. Does, I don't. I, I just feel like America would collapse. Yeah, no. Here's the thing: there's no war to be won. Um, listen, is The Walking Dead accurate? You know, given what we see in COVID, honestly, it's got there. There, how people would react to a zombie pandemic would probably be on par with COVID. I'm not going to lie. Do I have all the receipts? No, but we saw people act during COVID. And given this is the 1800s, a smaller portion of, now the whole U.S. hasn't even been discovered yet. They ain't even got vaccines, Kate. They 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 had vaccines then. But wait, 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 okay, sorry, not vaccines, but like, I I don't know my Civil War, like, medical history, but I know inoculation existed. Okay. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, but then again, we also the Civil War was also a time where um the where a lot of amputation happened, biting the a bullet, lot of people, biting the bullet, the mini the creation of mini balls, um, and how severely damaging they could be to when striking someone. But um, yeah, I I know bits. I know like. I might like knowing the Civil War is like a puzzle. The more you look into it, the more you see how um, how both. I mean, it's it's a pretty big con. It's it's a huge conflict, and it's it's definitely um, it's definitely something like us in high schools give like way too much attention to. Uh, if I can add, um, Kate's from the Midwest. I, I'm from Virginia. And I think we were taught about the Civil War in different ways. Probably so. How long, how long did you spend on the Civil War? Using the Civil War, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty lengthy unit. I remember it was it would be a, it would be its own chapter in a social studies book, and then we didn't really and they'd have stuff and they'd have they like they'd have a chapter about the up to Civil War. And then a whole chapter about the Civil War itself. And then at the very end, there'd be like two pages on Reconstruction. Yeah, that's one of the big things is, um, so the school I went to, like, um, I took a couple Civil War classes. Civil War, I feel like in school, I, at times, we probably spent a month on it. And I also- it's a long time. I know. And I also don't think necessarily, I, I say a month, probably like, most of it was the war, maybe a week of reconstruction. And then That's they more just than we spent. Boss it over. Also, what is the deal with um at least the US education system hinges heavily on conflicts in the histories and and social studies when learning history? Why do we hinge so much of our stuff on conflicts? Because I think it kind of presents this idea of a clear-cut ending of 
We Ooh. won the American Revolution. The U- Union won the Civil War. We won the War of 1812. We won World War I and II. Oh we, no, we never, we've, convenient, we, we've conveniently we run out of time before Vietnam. No, oh, and the Korean War. And we completely run out of time before the Korean War. Korea and Vietnam, they always, it's always pushed in. And it's like, oh no, we're out of time. We don't even, yeah, I mean, when I got, I think that when I got to high school, that was the first time I really learned about the, Viet, about the Vietnam War. And mm-hmm. yeah, and not, not to mention like everything that comes after it. It's about how much time you have to cover this stuff. And I were, and I remember when I was in school years ago, I would think it was like, wow. Kids in the future are going to have a lot of stuff to know. And I think also presenting not just this clear-cut ending, quote-unquote, of a unit like, we win the war. Cool. It doesn't... I mean, unless we're talking about the American Revolution and then spending time on Constitutional Convention and all that. A lot of time is not spent on Reconstruction. Just mentioning that it's a failure. And so many of current problems... In the not US, to mention them from Reconstruction to this not day. Not to mention how much they cut out the guilt, how much they cut out how how that led into the Gilded Age too. Yes, and just, this episode, which we've been dancing around the topic for now, we are not going to in this episode. This episode, obviously, with Jackson and Maya uh, being the only two characters of color on the ship dealing with the racism of the antebellum <laughs> South, or well not antebellum i guess current it's, bellum it's yeah of it of the of how rampant racism rage and how brutally inhumane white people would treat people of color if you were people people who are black um and how they just assumed they were their betters and how they had these they had these really this it, it makes my skin crawl the way they treated them the way they acted around them. like oh they like they the way that it just it disgusts me I'm sorry it just I don't understand how you can live to think someone is below you and treat them in that way people and it was it's a serious and honestly the amount that history does spend talking about slavery it's it's i mean it's important to know but the same and at the same time it's like it's not treated people don't see it's not really referred to as a dark they have people show how freaking dark it was we discussed uh last week about how they were granted i think 12 episodes for this season 13 13 and then they were given an extra four correct Mm -hmm. Uh, this episode was like due date was at eleven fifty nine p.m. This is an after school special of this. What are we doing? This is fueled by um, the I think probably a quick do- dive into Wikipedia and an insane amount of coffee and definitely a pizza. And like if you're like for a college student, this is like when you order the pizza. And you're just like, it just half it just lays there as you're typing. That's how this episode felt. It does. There are way too many plot lines. The tone is all over the place. Yeah. Shall we Let dive into dive. the 
critique it? Let's do. Let's take the plunge. Much like our friend at the beginning, taking a crash dive. He's calling Dontar. Yeah, which who I can assume is a time pirate. And apparently the same guy from before. I thought his name wait, hang on. I'm I have the I'm gonna look at my big thing at notes. So he was John Valor was the last time pirate captain oh, okay, that was back in Maroon. I knew I knew he's he he was like the scrungly cob vamp. We love that. This is like deadbeat dad cob vamp. But anyway, we got this guy. I he has do I know this guy's name? No, but he looks like an Alex to me. So I just kind of called him Alex in my head. Let's call him that. Honestly, Alex. as to how bad this episode will get, I think this opening is really fun. It's an interesting opening because um, by the way the jump ship is breaking off and how Alex is calling this Dontar, who I assume is his, is his captain of a time ship, they've done a raid on this vessel. And, I'm, and what I presume is this is one of the time masters who escaped the vanishing points that's what i'm assuming because it looks like a time master ship and not all the time masters were present at the vanishing point when the oculus exploded it i mean that wouldn't make sense for them all to be there unless they're all gathered to see rip hunter get roasted who wouldn't <laughs> which could be likely <laughs> So there, he is like, yeah, I got the TX-90, which is future bioweapon from 2235. Wait, what's Bishop from? I don't, uh, he's he's, he's like 40 years later, I think, because the Avas were 23rd, the Avas are 23rd century, like, that's the sign. Wait, oh no, oh, this is why I call him Alex, because someone named Alec got infected and killed everyone and apparently made a lovely old mess out of it all. Yeah, nice apparently like Alex. Event Horizon happened. Apparently a better episode happened on this alien ship and we didn't get to see it. You know that commercial going around with like you will leave your sci-fi movie unfinished? <laughs> That's the vibe. That's the vibe. I do love when Alex crash lands into this field. I I really like the line. I don't know when I am. I don't know. I just like, I I know it's kind of cheesy. Yeah. But I love that. He activates his beacon and he demands that Dontar get into the Dauntless and rescue him. But obviously, listen, Dontar's like, I don't think Dontar is coming, man. (laughs) I think this is, I'm sorry, your Tinder dates the new one. Because then Alex is surrounded by Confederate soldiers because he crash landed in Mississippi, 1863. And I do love that when all the bayonets are pointed at him, you hear in the background this southern, what the hell is this slang? <laughs> that it was funny. <laughs> that was the great. Hell? And, and then, then like our guy just starts melting into a zombie. <laughs> His, his, like, the veins around his eyes bulge out. His, I would talk about the eyes later, but his eyes, like, go red. And he, and it's like, oh, he's infected, too. So, obviously. cold open. Yeah, it was a good cold open. And then we cut to the intro. And when we see, uh, from last episode, we know Stein and Jax found that message from Barry. They're listening to it yet again. Yeah, and they're debating, 
should we tell somebody? And they still haven't. We also don't know the full context of the call yet. That's important. No. We're, like, we know I, Barry said, don't tell anybody about this. We don't and, know yet. And we find out that context in the Flash episode of Invasion, which I like for obvious reasons. <laughs> There's something in We will like. have a crossover special coming up. <laughs> this is the only crossover we're really excited about. This is the one good listen, this is the one good crossover we had. But I do love when Sarah hails them and is like, oh, Sarah, how are you? And Sarah immediately picks up that he's lying because he never calls her Sarah. It's always Miss Lance. And Martin is worse at lying. He's he's one of the worst liars I've ever seen. I think Martin is fun in this episode. Oh, he's very fun. He's very fun until we get to the last two minutes. But we'll talk about that later. We get to... um, We're back on the bridge and we find out about... They get the beacon. They get the message from our time pirate. They immediately peg him as such. um, And Gideon has managed to track him down to 1863 in Mississippi. I thought it was interesting here that Ray decided to spout off that it was one of the bloodiest years in American history. How do you know that, Ray? Why do you know that? He's a white man who is a nerd. He probably had a civil war phase. We know Nate did. Ray, Ray definitely, if I look at Ray, yeah, he definitely had a civil war phase and I bet he was interested. But I bet it was probably, well, Nate is probably geared more toward the military movements and strategy and the progression of troops and being a time detective to figure out what happened where Ray and Betty was probably more interested in the technological developments that happened during the Civil War, even though it was all probably wartime stuff. But still, I mean, one of the things that happens when war happens is technology also develops in order to catch up because everyone wants to be on the side that wins and they want to be able to create what wins the war. See, see World War II. Unfortunately, Ray is benched for this mission because as we learned la- as last episode with Shogun, they had to destroy his suit to stop the Shogun. So Ray is kind of SOL. <laughs> he's pretty SOL. And, um, but he's very bright and cheery about, but he's still bright and cheery about it. And then I wrote my notes, Martin is white man concerned about Jax. Right. <laughs> Stein is big white man concerned this episode. Like, I mean, it's concerned, but I did love Jack's throws back at him. Perhaps you should remain behind. Yeah. I love that. He's like, I've been black for a really long time. <laughs> My whole life. <laughs> it just is, it's a, it's, a, I kind of, I kind of do love when Jax gets in his jabs. Cause like, cause Martin, here's the thing on Martin. He tries to delicately tiptoe around a subject to address it. And it always blows up in his face. I mean, you can see it happening. Remember later on in the season, that's what happens when he tries to do it with a certain aberration. It blows up pretty good in his face. But Jax does bring up how he'll always face racism in any time which, period. Which I wanted to bring up um, this episode. You can't help but compare to women in the war, a uh, woman's places in the war effort yeah. uh, in season seven, where a lot of these themes. Uh, are touched on and done so much better yeah uh because 
at least I will say one of the good line, like not only is that I've been black my whole life, gray, but also um, just Jack's establishing, you're showing concern for me now. Um, anywhere we go in the past, I'm going to have racism, Martin. <laughs> is I'm sorry, but Martin, are you now? Where is, the, where is this concern in Oregon, Martin? Where was it then? Where is this concern because of what happened in Oregon? Because you're a little late, my friend. But it's oh, also, also and it's interesting to see that address because as a as as a black man, that is something. And having seen, there's at least three time travel shows I can name right now that involve a character of color going back and also and specifically a black man going back and experiencing racism. If you are interested in a uh, a read, there's this amazing book um, called Kindred. I believe the author's last name is Kincaid. I can't remember their, I think it's Claudia. I can't remember their first name, but, and it's about a black woman in the seventies who has this, suddenly gets this ability to time travel and travels back to where her great grandmother was a slave on a plantation. And it deals with these moral dilemmas of, my existence in my timeline hinges upon the suffering of my family that lived before me. And that yeah. author um, is a black woman. And it's a really great piece of science fiction. Uh, if anyone's interested in those themes, I also just kind of want to make it clear. We didn't say up at the top, both of us are um, white. We're, we are women. very, we're very white, very white. Uh, we're, so we're just, we're, we're literally the same person just in different places. Yes. We, we firestormed. Uh, we re- <laughs> firestormed. But I, I, I want to say this just at, at the top. So we have taken the time for this episode to really do research on the period and the people involved. And we've done our best to try and approach this um, sensitively. Uh, mm-hmm. So if there are anything that you want to contribute to this conversation or correct us on something we may have gotten wrong, we'll have our email at the end and our Twitter if you want to interact with us. We would love to learn more. At the same time... We also encourage you to do your own research and do your own investigation, soul searching, and looking into this because ultimately you need ultimately it's it's really when it comes to research and stuff like this, it needs to be um a self-motivated thing too at the same time. You can get it from you can get it from one of your sources you listen to, but you have to be motivated to get it from that source. Uh, otherwise well, otherwise, we stay on there because that's what this episode is. Um, well, because otherwise, what you get is a transition shot with a crappy banjo cover of Dixie, which is that like you just an- know racism's about to happen. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm that just that's just you can smell, you can hear the Mississippi in that. It's just like. How do we manage to get a cover of Dixie on Legends of Tomorrow? That's my question. It is. As soon as that started playing, I had the bad vibes. I, <laughs> like I, deliverance I with your banjo. A, you're like, nope. I this whole reaction is like, oh, Lord, you're really going to hammer it hard in the South this time, aren't you? Well, at least we have Ray to pack us some sack lunches. He's in his team mom era. Good for him. Uh, but yeah, he gives him like he's just he gives him sandwiches. He's like, "Oh, be safe!" And it just it cracks me up. But also, 
you gotta feel bad for the guy because he's he's benched kind of kind of like Kendra is benched a lot when Vandal Savage was around last season. Uh, so everyone's gets dressed up in their little outfits. Everyone's outfit is good. I'm just gonna say costume yes. department on Legends always kills it. So again, costumes. Yeah. So we find the time ship in the field, as one does. Temporal, the temporal pod, I think. That's what it's Close called. enough. So it's so. the escape. I think it's the escape pod. Pretty it's much. It's the life. It's it's the life. Essentially, the space lifeboat. The space lifeboat. It's when when no Ripley doesn't get Ripley gets into a pod at the end of Alien. Anyway, there's a lot of Alien parallels we can make later. No. <laughs> but. So we find the time ship, and they just let Mick use the Mick flame. gets to have a little bit of fun. This is, they're like, okay, you know what, Mick, you want to go, You I know you don't have feelings, but if you want to blow something up, here's your chance. I have been looking into rage rooms lately. I'd like, I'd love to book just an hour to smash some things. Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Mick's like, all right, now what? I love that exchange here between Stein and Mick. And when Stein goes, don't you think that is en- that's enough consideration for one day, Mr. Rory? No, I do not, Professor. I I feel like Stein and Mick have a complex relationship, but it's yes. one I really enjoy. <laughs> Sometimes the relationship is really funny to watch, but other times it's like, hey, Stein, come here. Uh, I need you to... See the I come here, come here. I want you to take a close look at the palm of my hand. And everything's like, all right, cool, easy mission. And then zombies show up. Actually, actually, before that, we we hear a call for help. We see this man looking oh, right. it through the through that. What what is? That? Oh boy, what here we call? go. The tall grass, and this is where things start to go downhill. Um. Oh yeah. And Amaya's ready to go help, but Jack's like, whoa, 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 we can't interfere with history. Otherwise, we might screw it up. And Amaya's like, you know what? Try and stop me. Goes over to help the guy. And then they're all going. And then as soon as she goes, they all start complaining about Amaya. I don't like Amaya being called out in this episode. I don't so either. Much. I I feel this- like, again... This is addressed with so much more nuance in A Woman's Places in the War effort. Mm-hmm. But Amaya sees someone in danger and goes to help them. Exactly. Uh, while they're arguing, even they basically do it the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Amaya is by Amaya is the supportive bystander, I would say. Course. In at least in this instance, in this instance, because like technically they all consider themselves bystanders to history, unless they're actively stopping whatever is being messed up. He's running. We don't see who's chasing. I guess we see zombie confederates coming though. Yeah, we see him coming. But the man introduces himself. I'm Henry Scott from Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, it's important that he's a, a black man. Like this is yes, relevant. This he yes he this is a black man. And Mick makes a comment like, well, you're really far away from home. But then Nate looks at him like, you're dispatch, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So he's running. Uh, he's a spy for General Grant. And then they're like, oh, wait, what are you running from? And then the zombies are here. This, I think um, the zombie, yeah, the zombies start getting up. After, and then they're like, wait, what's that? 
and Martin Martin can't say the Z word. Oh, that's right. That they it is just Confederate dudes at first, we think. Firestorm takes yeah. them out, and oh, then yeah, they yeah, start yeah. sitting back up. Yes. Martin, can't, Martin say, can't say the Z word. This and the Z word is not daddy. Z is for zombie. <laughs> he isn't really scared of these zombies. And I gotta say, my main thought during this fight, I'm gonna be quite honest with you, why isn't Mick using the fire gun? We exactly. all know that fire stops zombies. Here's the thing, well, here's the two things that stop zombies are you, like, take him out by the head, like mm-hmm. center. At least that's my, that's my walking dead knowledge. That's pretty standard zombie rules. Yeah. Um, also they're wearing their uniforms their wool right or at least some Mm -hmm. kind of type that yep i mean that's kind of flammable right a dry yeah yeah presumably it's dry i mean looking around there it hasn't rained and it's definitely not hurricane season no i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) let's see like i know they i guess they didn't let mick use fire so that it's a plot so, device. It's a plot device so that Mick can smash the zombie's head in with a rock. That was pretty great. Also, like, here, here's the thing. Mick is linebackering this whole thing. He is tackling zombies. He's taking a, he takes a rock and he bashes in the, he- the head of the one um, that was great. attacking Jax. I do love that while Jax was arguing with Martin, the zombie comes and just tackles him down. I took like a screenshot at that moment and you see Jax going and Martin is like ready to ready to bolt out of there. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, because like, okay, Firestorm can't use fire because Martin's frozen. Okay. But yeah. Mick's right there and loves setting things on fire. There are two things in life Mick Rory loves. Actually, hang on. Three... Four things. Four things in life that McRoy... Five things. Five things in life that McRoy loves. I'm, I'm going to go this right now. I'm not adding more. Get roasting Nazis. Getting into bar fights. Using his heat gun. Leonard Snart. And... Lita. 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 No, I had another point and then I forgot it. I'm, I'm going to remember this later. Um, he does love ninjas. Not... That's it, ninjas, probably. And then, like, you know, one of his 50 children. One of them's in there. <laughs> I don't think he and um, Hala are going to work it out. No, that's going to... That's gonna... How How is the custody arrangement going to work for that one? That's my question. I think you got to take half at a time. That's true. Did, so do Necreans have lawyers? That's a, that's a question. Gary, do Necreans have lawyers? We just eat each other. We, we didn't, okay, Um, I know this is future for season six. We did not get enough Necrean lore, in my opinion. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We deserved more Necrean lore. And I find that very sad. It's very sad to me. And, and, and clearly, it's it smells like a freaking plot device. Uh-huh. Uh, what else is a plot device? Is Henry Scott dying from Confederate zombies? He's been impaled. He's been impaled. Oh. 
No. So he takes a moment, like as he's dying to tell Jax, like, you need to get this to General Grant. My satchel, you need to go get this, the plans. And then he dies. It's, it's very, it's, listen, this is not me criticizing this anyway, but it's very convenient how it lives long enough to do that. And the fact that they didn't think, hey, um, can we take him back to the Wave Rider? Yeah, I am going to criticize it. Um, so, as I said, we did research for this episode. Yeah. Henry Scott was a real person in the Civil War. I have my notes here um, on him. Uh, mm-hmm. Full name was William Henry Scott. He went by Henry. When he was eight, he learned that he was half white. Um, his father was, um, his mother, his and his mother's master on a plantation. So he learned this about himself. Uh, so for six years, he was planning to escape from the plantation. In 1862, when he's 14, he ran away from the plantation to a union camp that had landed nearby. So, I'm sorry, he should have been 14. He's 14. Oh my god. Well, this is, I was just saying, like, I guess he'd be 15 in 1863, but that's still like a major difference. They so they do that. So when he's 14, he ran away to a Union Army camp, uh, where he met the lieutenant of this unit whose name was Loving M. Muzzy, M-U-Z-Z-E-Y. And when he got there, uh, Muzzy adopted uh, Scott as an aide-de-camp, essentially, and started to teach him how to read and write because he hadn't been able to learn on the plantation. It was discouraged. Uh, One of the stories I read is that he didn't know how to hold a book to know what was up and what was down. So they would put a picture of a horse on it. So the horse would be up. So he could start to learn that way. Mm-hmm. And he began, he learned uh, in this unit, some of the other officers and soldiers and even uh, Muse's mother, when she got letters and heard about them, they all helped him. She actually sent him a Bible to keep a, and practice reading. Of course they did. It was, the, it was the, the 1860s. 18, what else are you going to read? It's the 1860s. Um, the 1860s. There's less to read. Listen, listen at this point, I mean... At least it's, at least there's worse there's pro, there's a, there's books around by that. Mm-hmm. Also, I, this is important. William Henry Henry Scott was was born in Fauquier County, Virginia, which is where I'm from. It's not where I live now, I, but the home state, home county, which is very decidedly four hours away from New Jersey by car. Oh my, that's brilliant. That's like six hours. What am I saying? And in 1863, that would take you like a month. That could take that would take you at least a month, probably. So um, Scott actually saw a lot more combat than some of the white soldiers in his regiment. He'd follow Mose into battles near Fredericksburg, Virginia. At one point, he made up a story to a guard that he was an aide to one of the wounded soldiers on the field, so he could gain access. And um, was it was smart enough to be like there's a lot of carnage happening i'm gonna leave Uh, but there was like this old spanish sword that a fallen 
think Confederate soldier had. So he just took that, brought it back to Muzzy as like, hey, found this. Uh, they were, so in 1863, when this happens, uh, when this episode is happening, uh, they're in Gettysburg right, right then, which is decidedly a thousand miles from Mississippi. Yeah, we're, we're, we're quite south. Um, He'd probably, if I he ever, he co- probably didn't meet General <laughs> Grant, especially not at this point, because again, they were in Gettysburg. And then Mazzei um, uh, gave um, Henry a place at his home in Massachusetts when the war ended. So he took him back to his house just to give him a place to get started. And then um, Henry Scott actually became both a teacher, minister, and a bookstore owner uh, in the DMV area. So like Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. And he was very politically active and fought for equal rights during Reconstruction. Um, as opposed to someone like Booker T. Washington at the time, he wasn't fighting for, quote unquote, common ground or tolerance. He was demanding the equal rights that were being put in place after Reconstruct- uh, when Reconstruction began. And slowly, like a lot of those Reconstruction laws started to be stripped away by Jim Crow laws, uh, which lasted through the 1960s. And again, yep. so many problems in America stem from the absolute failure of Reconstruction. One important thing, though, is that Scott was one of the 29 original members of the Niagara Movement, uh, which was um, founded for um, giving uh, Black people equal rights in America. While that organization ended up folding, some of the other members were founding members of the NAACP. And his his influence uh, impacted them uh, at when he passed away. one of the fellow men um, who were part of the Niagara movement with him said at his funeral that he was a lover of liberty, liberty for its own sweet sake. So he was definitely a real person that if he was removed from the timeline would have ripples. So what I'm just saying, Legends under undercuts its entire point in this episode by making Jax a stand-in for this a Black man whose own identity they erased. Yeah, um, yeah, sorry, I'm just processing this. It's like, no, it's a lot to process. It's, yeah, because here's the, at the time, I did not know this, and I wonder, and my question is, do the writers actually, do the writers just pull names out of a hat, or do they actually do a little research? Yeah, I'm, I just question, I mean, I'm not, it's, I, mean, I it's don't, just, no, like it, it, but it feels really sloppy. Yes, it's they realize, but so they have, so they know what, so they thought they'd solved one problem. No, they have two now. One is the uh walking confederates, the walking undead confederates, which is first, which Bad. is ideally that's not okay, and then you have. Henry Scott getting impaled and the and that he has plans that need to be delivered. Well he's well he needs to go get the plans, I think. And yes. deliver them, I think was it. He yeah, was gonna was go it. um undercover at the plantation to get the plans. Yeah. And when they get back to the ship, Ray's missed all of this because he went to the bathroom. Oh my god, the total shift in this is so bad. 
like it, it ends like i know we we watched this on netflix not live but like so henry scott dies commercial first line back is ray like i was in the bathroom it's like dude we he were was, he was sitting on the bench <laughs> i was sitting he literally was it was it was literally sitting on the bench but it's it's very jarring to go from watching what is essentially a fridging to that to Ray Palmer being hit putting on that lighthearted Boy Scout act. What is a black man murdered by a white mob, even if they're undead zombies? That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. And then, because again, the tone is wild. Mick just passes out after talking yeah. about sprouts on my sandwich. He's he's he's, he's whining because Ray put sprouts on his sandwich, which it's just like okay, well, what kind of sprout? First of all, this is irrelevant. But well, what kind of what? Here's the question: What kind of sandwich was it? Because if it was a bon me and it's bean sprouts, I get it. Yeah, meatball sub with bean sprouts feels like a crime. It's a meatball sub with alfalfa. But then, so Mick passes out, and this leads to, okay. But we talked about the homoeroticism. He takes a, he just, he takes a freaking header on the floor. He's, you know what, you know what, he just like slides off and goes thunk on the does. floor. They get him to the med bay, and. This um, is like, this is the most homoerotic thing I'd seen on Legends in a while. He just grabs Ray's shirt and is like, Ray, you gotta fix me. I don't want to be turned okay. into a freaking zombie. This is like this huge like bite mark on his shoulder. And here's the question: like, how did that not seep through his shirt too? I mean, this is what we say. Like, if we'd seen the bite, if because like if the bite had happened, which we're not, I'm not saying the bite didn't happen, but it's very covered up. That's, this is when we get that mention of like because there are confederate zombies the union loses the war which again I do not understand the union the, the headline says the union surrenders I don't understand what this means like I a zombie apocalypse or like even if it's not a zombie apocalypse a zombie invasion is like we're all gonna die Like this is not the Abraham Lincoln um vampire killer book we subscribed yeah oh my god that would have been a perfect joke but uh, no because again this episode you can, you can make you it pick a tone yeah pick a tone but it's just like how you can it's it's very much kind of like okay well let's think about it so you have um when we think about the social the, the socioeconomics of the north and south at this time Think about what happens when this gets to the cities, when soldiers go on leave after they get infected. Imagine what happens to the cities. Because, listen, um, General Sherman in the Union, uh, he went on a reign of terror and destroyed Atlanta and just kept on going. Just imagining what would happen. Because I highly doubt the zomb the zombie outbreak would have would have remained in the in the Confederacy. It would have spread to the Union. Yeah, if that guy what... got infected, they would have the whole oh, everywhere would have been screwed. 
because that's we'll bring this up in a second like this is not like the 1300s where they're throwing plague victims into castle walls mm-hmm. and like waiting for everyone to die that way like they're moving mm-hmm. like i don't understand like unless the confederate army has the zombies on leashes which is a terrible idea but yeah, also to- something not to mention, it's like, I'm sorry, are your, how are your science, how quick are the scientists of that era going to de- develop a cure, a vaccine? We don't even have, like, we have inoculation, but, like, a vaccine as we know it doesn't technically fully exist. No, let me I, I don't quick think. that we've up. Hang on, let me look that up quick. While you're doing that, I also yeah, want to mention, they mentioned... Well, you know, if that time pirate goes around infecting people, we still have a problem. We never find this man again. I don't understand why you would bring it up at all. We never find patient zero. We never did. Yeah, he, he was like, um, okay, so here's the, so I did find a timeline of human vaccination. Okay. Technically, there was a smallpox vaccination, but really mm-hmm. vaccination started in 1880. So 20 years later by Louis Pasteur. Yeah, because there used to be Because he was making cholera. He got the one, he got the vaccine for cholera. He got the one for rabies. It Um, used to be like smallpox inoculation. I mean, it essentially was smearing some blood or some other substance from a smallpox victim, putting it on your own skin. So you would give you a small version of smallpox. (laughs) eventually though like pasture is the one that came up with a vaccine as we know it today exactly pasture yeah pasture was the first one to do that and it's it's all right well jack's volunteers to take henry henry scott's place Mm -hmm. i have a lot of on the one hand he wasn't volunteered for the mission which would look worse Mm -hmm. on the other hand it's still like you know what the issue of this episode is is that the plot line that has to do with slavery takes maybe 10 minutes of a 42 minute episode it should be like a good 30 it should be like a good 30 for us to really look at these themes and this history and it's not because you know what we're doing sarah and nate are looking for grant yeah, and so because Jacks is because when Jacks reads the orders, um, he finds out they're for Grant, and it's for and Nate ID is like, oh, these are that for the Battle of Champion Hill. I forgot to look that up in my research. I'm sorry. I didn't. Listen, um, I got it, most of it wrong. It didn't co- listen. It didn't come up for me when I was doing some research on John L. Grant, who I'll talk about in a few minutes, but um. That kind of Jack steps up because he says he doesn't like the idea of flying a flag with 20 stars on it. And like, okay, well, at least take Amaya with you. Yes, because while Sarah and Nate are walking to find Grant, this is so, I don't know the, listen, I'm going to use one of the best lines from the show of our times, Hell's Kitchen. Oh, yeah. Nate got his bitch switch flipped. And now, and now he's like, Sarah, I should be the one to talk to Grant. I'm someone he'll listen to. And Sarah goes, because you're a man? And he says, well, 
Well, gender equality wasn't really established yet. And then I love that Sarah's response. Oh, we're only a hundred years away from total equal rights. You're right for that, Sarah. Yeah, she was so right. And then, okay. Now we oh get my. to, now we get to one of, like, I think the scene that is hard to watch. It's There's a couple of them. Jackson and Maya are walking to the plantation and Jack says, okay, the plan is we're just going to hang out. Basically, we're going to hang out in the bushes until night and then we're going to sneak in. Amaya's again complaining about the legends and should. how well the missions go. As she should, you know, I'll give her that. But this, and, and honestly, it's just like, I'm so glad none of the others around because I know they'd be talking about her behind her back again. But, but then... Um, I wrote you, white men. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Because there's um, a young woman slave who is brought out by the white master and she's being punished for burning a tablecloth. Unfortunately, we know the man's name and not the woman's. That's the worst part. I'm just double checking what her name is, if I can find it. Oh yeah, do they have her listed? Because I don't remember her name. Uh, I believe uh, in the cast list I'm looking at, it says that her name is Mary. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, girl. She, she burned a tablecloth. That's what happened. She just, like, <laughs> by accident did this. And she's, she is tied against this tree and whipped. We don't mm-hmm. see the entire whipping incident because... I mean, because we are on the say, CW. Because this is on the CW, but it's just so awful. Like it's for it's the little horrible. you see, you can't look at it. Yeah, and just like, like he's he's absolutely mercilessly teasing her, and and he's taunting her about it's like, oh, you're just daydreaming for Ulysses S. Grant to come and free you, and just pushes her against tree, pulls out a whip, and just like, oh, you know what's coming, and. It's, it's hard to watch, but here's the thing is like, this was a harsh reality that happened. This was how Black women were treated, and Black men as well, and it got worse than that too. We talked the fact that, about it. Yeah, and the fact that, the men, that men at that time, like, they don't, they did not show regret. They enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's sick. So the part that makes me upset about this scene, and I feel like this is one of the only scenes in Legends, apart from the Nazi crossover, where I'm like, I physically don't want to look at this Mm -hmm. because of how painful this is. It's not so much that they are showing this event. It's that it is in a, it is, it sounds terrible. This is the C plot. It is. In terms of like runtime. I feel like we spend more time, maybe we spend more time with them than Nate and Sarah. The Nate and Sarah subplot is so useless. We'll get to that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the fact that there are three major plot lines going on and this one gets the least amount of screen time. It's so upsetting because this should be what we're discussing. This is the issue. And Amaya is like, I'm going to go help her. I can't leave her like this and jack says i'm sorry Jack's like i know i i hate seeing it but we can't interfere he's and the thing is you have to remember this point jack's been time traveling for 
well over six months, probably close to eight months, I would wager, is how long he's been time traveling. And he's been, and that's not kind of how long he was stuck in the past, too. Mm-hmm. So he's been at this game for quite a bit. And I, who knows what else he's witnessed? Because is this the first time that, um, a black person, a black, I mean, a black person has been brutalized in front of him. I highly doubt that. Like with six months, and considering how rampant racism is in any time period in, in American history, I feel like it probably would have been witnessed before. Do I know that for sure? No, but um, again, not an expert. I am a white person, so there's that. And then we kind of cut, and then. We get back now. We keep flashing back to this plot here and there, but then it switches to that plot of Nick awaiting Ray to finish the vaccine. They cut to the most comedic of the <laughs> side plots. Like this is not a break from the tension. We are like taking a turn. Like we okay. almost missed the turn. That's where Can we're we... going. And then I had to talk about this moment, but the way that Nick looks Ray dead in the eye and goes, Raymond, I'm counting on you. That was a little... That was a little... <laughs> a little, you know. This is you like... Know, you I know. mean, Adam Wave began with um, Failsafe. This is like when we start picking... Like, we saw a little bit at the end with Destiny and Legendary. This is when... This is when we start getting the good stuff. This is the good shit. It's then, a little... I, it's a little, a little treat. We get a we uh, yeah. Um, it's like they're trying to give us and distract us from what we just saw. <laughs> the next thing in my notes is just Nate. Ugh. <laughs> I actually, I actually have before that. Um, so Ray injected Mick, and the, and here's the, if oh, anything, yeah. it seems to have accelerated the transformation. You see Mick go zombie. Martin's about to pee his pants again. Ray flashes Mick and locks him in the med bay, and then orders Gay to. Orders Gideon. <laughs> orders Gideon. I'm sorry. I don't know how that slipped in. Talk about Freudian slip. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? Talk about a Freudian slip. <laughs> Listen, you you know what rhymes with Ray? <laughs> anyway, anyway, sorry. Ray orders Gideon. <laughs> what the shit on lockdown? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, now it's alien. Now we're now, yeah, we've engaged the alien Paul line, and then we go to Nate. Nate. Listen, I like Nate in later seasons. I'm gonna say this right now. I like Nate in the first two episodes of season two. When After does, he gets his powers, Nate goes downhill for me. When does he get high? What episode is that again? That is in season three, and it's when... Oh, that is three. Um, that's in three when he and Amaya... Amaya has no reaction. Nate has the worst trip of his life. That, that was great. He likes broccoli. That's the thing. We do love Nate. It's just like, they don't know what to do with him right now. Yeah, that's the thing is, we don't... I feel like Nate's... Actually, when you think about it, Nate's plot is is moved by tragedy when you think about it. It's very sad. It's um, very, yes, very I sad. Mean, anyway. There are moments when he, Nate, but there are moments when he's allowed to be funny. And I feel like they don't allow Nate to be funny. 
but sometimes he would be funny. funny. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, and General Grant says, well, who are you? I'm Colonel Sanders. <laughs> oh, also, also, can we talk about how he's still about a sophomore thesis on the Civil War and Sanders wants to get it done? And then he's like, oh, did you know out of five million on either side, 300 women were in drag? How is that not a fun fact for you? Like that's at that point, I was like, I wanted to kind of reach out and just hit smack him in the back of his. Like, uh uh-uh. uh. All right. So new player has entered the scene. General Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> hey, how accurate is this? We saw how great they did with Henry Scott. Okay. So here's your history lesson on you, Ulysses S. Grant, brought to you by my research which but so here's the thing so he was born so first off i need you all to know this man was born in point pleasant ohio it's not even the interesting point pleasant i think it's point pleasant i i hope i'm right on that he was he was born in ohio when he was younger um he was really into horses i'm not kidding he was a horse guy like he liked he's a horse girl he was the horse girl. I'm going to be real. He was a horse girl. He liked working with horses. But he enlisted in the military because it was either you go to the military or you don't get any more education. And so he enlisted at West Point. Grad, grad, he, wasn't really, he, he wasn't really interested in military experience and military careers whatsoever. He... He actually really liked the art courses that were offered and liked reading classics. He would have been a really great art student, I like to think. But um, he graduated in the middle of his class. We're not talking, he's, and obviously look at this guy, he's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're kind of a, you're one of the, you're not, you're not, um, you're not the cream of the crop. <laughs> um, he did, he fought in the Mexican-American War. And he was a captain during that time. And let's see, what else do I have? Um, I've just kind of gone around a couple sides. But afterwards, he was put on some pretty remote posts away from his family. Believe it or not, his wife, his wife was his roommate's sister. This is not oh my, my favorite. Oh my god, they were oh my god, it was the roommate's sister. And the thing that really pissed me off when I was doing research, like, oh, yeah, she wasn't really a lot. She was not, again, the same thing with Boleva Marvick. Like, she wasn't really pretty, um, which Julia, they criticized. She had a lazy eye, and they criticized that. But they said that Grant found her personality to be very lively, and he liked that. So they got hitched. But he was put out of post far away from her, so he didn't get to see her very often. And eventually, he resigned in 1854 because um he was neglecting his work and he was hitting he was drinking heavily that's kind of one of the only things i knew about grant going in today is like civil war general president at some point but hardcore alcoholic yeah um drank a lot not not good not good stuff um so but he resigned because he wanted to avoid being expelled from service he tried to be a farmer. He had a little stint working as a farmer because through his wife, they got land. Um, and he did work as a store owner for a while. Now, 
when the Civil War broke out in 
Yay, feminism. Feminism? I don't know. Her, I don't, but then again, I don't know her platform. But um, Grant's second term was a disaster. There was so much corrupt. I mean, his entire White House career was a disaster because um, they lived like they lived like the French of Versailles, essentially. They redecorated the White House. It was so lavish. It was like it was gaudy. Um, his daughter got married. In the, his daughter got married during his presidency, so that took a, that probably took a big hit of money. And apparently, they would have these twenty nine course dinners with nine French wines accompanied. Like that's the that's the level of ridiculousness we saw going on. Not to mention that um, he tried to make he start he started a civil service commission and then he abandoned his support for it. He tried to annex the Dominican Republic to the United States, which the Senate said uh, no. And um, he let go of his private secretary accepting bribes. Before the guy could get convicted, he essentially screwed the pooch on that one. He sa- he basically said, like, I have made some really bad errors of judgment. He was ineffective supporting Reconstruction, which is another reason it went downhill, because he he sucked at supporting it. He did try and run for a third term in 1879. That didn't go so well. In 1884... Before then, he apparently, he traveled the world with his wife. They went on a world tour. Um, They were in England. They were in Germany. I'm not kidding you. They were in England. They were in Germany. And then he got, and then this is, here's, here's something that's fun. Um, I'm sorry, this guy, this man, this man is just like, your life is a roller coaster. And I don't know. And honestly, it's like, okay, I believe this happened to you at this point. He lost all his savings in 1884 to a corrupt bank. He got hustled. But then here's the thing. He made that up. He made up some of it by he wrote about his war experiences. People wanted to buy that from him. It got popular. He wrote a whole autobiography before kicking the bucket at at 63. And he's buried in New York, I believe, is where he is. His his tomb is a national memorial. But um, honestly, he's quite milk toast in this episode. Honestly, just like after Reno's and thinking back on the guy, is like mm, you you just got lucky. You were in the right place at the right time. I'm sorry, that's my opinion on Ulysses Grant. I don't think he's really that great. I say milk toast. He does say in this episode, what in perdition's flames is that? I like that. That's fun. Look at that good old Ohio boy go. Is that a horse girl? That, no horse. This is our title. Horse Horses. girl. Horse girl Grant. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they're, they're there. Grant thinks that they're Confederate spies, Sarah and Nate. And yep. Sarah says, yeah, hey, I can get you proof. And if I'm not back... You can shoot him. <laughs> Which, I know. I thought it was. Listen, honestly, after the after the after the very uh, sexist comment, and then the uh, sexist fact trying to appeal to Sarah's bisexuality, which honestly is like, oh no, we we didn't. Sorry, listen, it's like you're not Nate. You're not riding with us right now. Like if someone said that to me, it was like, like I can tell that's just being a suck up right there. Yep. Um, We're we kind of cut. <laughs> Oh, God. Like we said, the fact that there are three 
create three completely separate plot lines that is commented on. I was like, wow, we're all doing our own thing. It is, it is not good because then we cut from this kind of goofy line. Then we cut to Martin panicking about zombies, which is very funny. It's very, uh, this is his Laurie Strode era. <laughs> it is. Later, he's got this big kitchen knife like Laurie Strode in Halloween. Yeah. It's such and a good look. Also, it's a really fun, so I didn't, I forgot about having a big knife, but what do you think about in season four when you have the Stein puppet possessed by Mike the Spike holding the big knife? It's, I realized, oh, it's kind of a callback to that. They don't even dress the same. What's not delightful um, is actually here's the, I thought it was a little a little karmic right here because Stein was um, dissy and mixed intelligence, and Ray kind of did too. And then literally the next second, Nick comes and attacks them. It's literally I heard you are talking crap about me. Here I am, and this, so they go and they they go hide out in the galley. After, and Martin's trying to get over that. Nick grabbed his foot. <laughs> It, it is very, I feel like we should talk about each plot line and then like kind of end on the Jackson Maya one. So we're not cutting mm-hmm. back and forth. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's, let's streamline this process. All right. So streamline the Mick and Mick Ray Stein plot line there. It's very alien, obviously 1979 mm-hmm. alien with constantly shutting the doors and being blocked off couple of good zombie tropes. I think the <laughs> zombie makeup is very good. Like, oh, if great. I have to say something positive about this episode, zombie makeup. Also, I mean, kind of related, but, like, The Walking Dead does really good zombie makeup. Like, that that stuff's creepy. It's genuinely a little frightening. I love it. But I like that Nick looks like a sci-fi zombie here, and I think it's fantastic. Guys. But, um... There is. Sorry. Stein makes a joke and it's like, oh my God, he's going to eat our brains. And there'll be such a delicious treat for him with our brains. I'm like, Stein, that was not the time. Aren't you scared? I don't think that's how science works, Marty. Very eyes on. I don't don't think, I don't, does knowledge add flavor? Hannibal Lecter, please respond. Please respond. We're getting our jokes out now with this thing. We're getting our jokes out now. We need to. So we got to get the jokes out now. Again, do they ever, like, I I know I'm cutting back. They never find that original Time Pirate guy, right? He doesn't come back. They don't. Well, here's the question. Did he, did he was like, did he just go like have a zombie pass out inside the temporal pod after attacking he's the He's not soldiers? the head that he brings back, right? No, he's not the head, but like, could yeah. he have gone up in flames in that temporal pod? Maybe he was just taking a little zombie nap in there. Do zombies nap? Zombies don't need to nap. Zombies don't have functions. Like, I guess a zombie doesn't eventually fall apart. So wait, 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 wait. So if zombies eat brains, it's got to go somewhere. Well, I mean, like, when you're dead, you've already been cleaned out. Well, yeah, I mean, I know that. But what happens when you're putting more matter inside you? Where does it go? It just goes, I imagine. Also, fun fact, zombies eating brains wasn't a thing until the 80s. Interesting. Which we will talk about in our fun segment at the end. So we got to <laughs> power through some terribleness. Power through. Right. But yes. Yeah, anyway, so, so um, Ray decides, all right, that dose wasn't enough. What if I put it essentially into a fire extinguisher? 
and do yeah, it that way. Which is a- it's just like, wait, how the hell was able to do that? And why do you have more with you right now? How did you remember to grab more? You remember this episode was written to... at 10 p.m. There are plot. I'm. I wrote. I wrote better fanfic than this at that this at that time. This is. That's. A, I'm sorry. Right. That's. A, that's a lie. That's a lie. Also, like randomly, the lights go out, and they're like, Mick probably ate the panel. <laughs> But that's yeah, and, not explained. Again, can we stop crapping on Mick, please? This this actually kind of right here. This is where the Mick crapping starts beginning. Yeah. And I like here Ray does admit to Martin. Also, that one line when Ray asks Martin, can I call you Marty? No. Oh. <laughs> but I, I do like that in a moment, like, because it's a terrifying situation when terrifying situations happen. Your emotions really come out, and Ray admits that he's scared. He has nothing left to offer from the team now that he's lost his suit, which I find was really interesting to think about how an arrow, um, he built the suit because he felt he needed to essentially be the protector that wasn't there when he and Anna were attacked by the Miracruz junkies. It's very interesting, like, like, Really, Ray's whole existence has hinged on his suit. That's why he was brought onto Arrow in the first place. And the first time I saw him brought on Arrow, I thought he was going to be a bad guy. I'm real honest. I didn't know my conversation. Eventually, you got your wish. No one is that positive. No one. That's what you said about Gary. Hey, listen, (laughs) I have some trust issues. I support um, so Ray has his little fire extinguisher doohickey, but he gets knocked out by Mick. So Martin, this is when he has a little Laurie Strode moment. He's got his big knife. He's like, I, Martin comes okay. out of the kitchen. He's got his knife. And honestly, it's just like, how, how, how many times has um, there been an almost break in at the signs and Clarissa has found Martin holding that big ass kitchen knife? I listen. I, I can just see like Martin has the knife and Clarissa has a baseball bat. And she's like, "What? Why do you?" I don't. I, I look at Clarissa. Clarissa, and I think, "Yeah, she's a bad girl." And so he's got the humans up. Like he gets the fire extinguisher. Like, all right, Marty, you gotta do what everyone does in those zombie movies that you were too scared to watch. Which you know what? I support Stein in this. I am terrified of sharks. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Su- people killing sharks but i'm really scared. Mm-hmm. like even if a shark movie is bad i'm scared like i i'm i'm scared of finding Having, i watched jaws in high school for a class best class i ever took in my life but it was so suspenseful i had to look away because and my teacher's like if that's you so go out of the room like that's okay dude was the best te- dude was one of the best teachers i ever had um that man that man gets that man gets some filmography what is the so what exactly happens in this scene so, so Mick ends up on top of stein to attack him oh yeah because here's it because ray was because um well martin found ray passed out got the fire extinguisher and also i wrote this down um i did write that mary was ray was very diehard jumping out of the air vents into the med bay mm-hmm. <laughs> and i like that um he was going, tell me something I don't know. And Nick is right behind him, growling. I thought that was very peak horror cinema of that of them to do that. But um, 
yeah, so um, Martin sees Mick Coder on the corner, and he was saying, in the light, Mick's eyes were, were reflective like a cat's. And I thought that was really cool. It was like a blink and you miss it moment, but his eyes were like fully, like so glazed over from the zombie virus that like it looked like a cat for a second. I was like, oh, that's so cool. So fun. But um, so he blasts Mick in the face. He blasts him. Um, and a great Mick line. Yeah, Mick just, and Mick pins Martin down, but as he's pinning down, the cure finally works, and Martin's like on the ground, and Mick's looking down at him with the funniest expression possible. Hats off to Dom for that expression. That was great. Great face acting. And he goes, Professor, what's going on? Was I just trying to kiss you? And Stein's like, I, I hope so. <laughs> Essentially, he's like, best <laughs> case scenario. <laughs> yeah, it was, but he's, you know, he's happy that Mick's fine. Um, definitely probably a little scarred for life. Yeah. Well, that was kind of a fun scene. All right. That was a um, fun plot. Now we cut to the, I'm sorry, this Nate Sarah plot is useless. This has no reason to you be know, here. I'm so, listen, here's the thing. The JFK plot with Nate in season six <laughs> is like this, but better. Yeah, because Cause Nate's grown. It's allowed to be funny. And also it's, because it's JFK too. Because it's JFK too. It's JFK. What, now here's the, if this was Lincoln, would it be funnier? I feel like Lincoln. I, I so thinking about Lincoln's cabin, I'm willing to bet that um, I I think that Andrew Johnson would have said a cuss word to Nate. I I feel like he, I feel like Nate would have, would piss him off. Um, also, I, if you've ever seen a picture of Lincoln, Secretary of War, that man has a hella beard. Yes. If you if you don't know, go look up Lincoln, Secretary of I think it's the Secretary of War. Um, dude's got a hella beard. His Secretary of State is a is a was basically a freaking badass. Um, going through a whole bunch of crap and surviving. Yes, but I'm not going to talk about Lincoln's this- cabinet right now. This Nate, I will say, just about this scene. Speaking of alien, when Sarah comes in with the zombie head as right. group, it's very um, in Alien when they reanimate Ash's head to tell them the plan to bring the alien mm-hmm. back. It reminds me of that almost in a way. I mean, the zombie isn't capable of thought anymore. It it just sits there and screams. Yeah, which is kind of fun. It, it's like it's like when Bill Cipher offers up a screaming head in Gravity Falls. Excellent. Wait, did Bill do that? I don't remember. Someone's offered up a screaming head. No, Bill offered deer teeth. That was disturbing. Um, I don't. No, maybe did, did Bill give a head that never stopped screaming? I'm gonna look that up later. If you know Gravity Falls, you probably remember. I there's so much crap up in my head. Anyway, this again, this plot line doesn't do anything because we just keep cutting back to them being like, I don't know what to do, which is not interesting. But also the fact that Grant keeps asking, What is a zombie? After what Nate is a zombie? Said, what after Nate said they're not gonna know that word for another seven years because we need to do the math that does put out go out to the 30s and 
wasn't and um we will discuss this I okay so my hey i knew enough about my like movie history to recognize that was the correct era when yes. zombie films when the first zombie film came out was dawn of the dead or something you, you'll tell me you'll tell me oh, but um anyway after seeing, this nothing plot line sarah finds this whole container of nitroglycerin very conveniently placed next to where she was throwing knives I like that she throws knives to help her think. Oh, like that's that's Sarah, Sarah. That's very ADD of you, and I'm very proud. So very ADD, ADHD of Sarah. Very proud to see that. Um, and I can, and I, I'm pretty sure that's probably Sarah is somewhat neurodivergent in that way. Oh, absolutely. I I just feel like you know I keep saying this plot line is nothing. Even like the action scene. And you would think like the zombie fighting scene would be fun and cool. I mean, yeah. when Nate Nate eventually like they put out the the lights, they don't fire the ammo, and Nate runs in there with a big torch, like hey, like just a hunk of man meat. <laughs> like this is what I'm good for. Mm, not, not, not my kind of man meat. Um. <laughs> What's I'm trying to think. That's uh, I'm trying to, but yeah, you have. But yeah, so when the zombie, because cause Sarah found the zombie is like less than a mile away from camp. So they're coming. Grant has them shooting. His soldiers shoot at the zombies and they are blowing ammunition on them because they're just coming back. They're not shooting them in the right place. And um, sorry, I just spaced out for a sec when I was talking. Um, but I do like, but. Um, Grant, we do hear the episode name when Grant calls the zombies abominations, which I thought was interesting. Nate's told to run fast, run hard, don't die. And Nate's like, I'll promise you two of those things as he's handed this massive flare. They're all then late eventually when eventually Grant orders his men on thanks to help with Sarah to kill the lights and hold the fire. Once is out, Nate comes in yelling. He's yelling and screaming and making loud noises. Now this is Potter. No, excellent. This then, is Potter racing, and, and he then, he he's holding the thing lit up, and he runs away. It's it's very Dawn of the Dead. If you saw, it. yes, I'm trying, it's, it's one. It's one. I knew it was like Carolina one of those movies. Um, but they all. It's it. <laughs> this is horrible. But it makes me think of Life of Brian when, when they're all yeah. running after Brian. It's Excellent. I'm I sorry, it's not funny, but it just it's not well, it is. Okay. He dies on top of this crate of nitroglycerin. Uh, he he steals up and blows the heck out of it. It's very fun, and then. They're like, oh my god, he's dead. And then he's like, when he pulls himself out from under the pile of zombies. Because when because he was thinking it's dark when he did this, but then it's like morning. It's like, do they wait a couple hours and then go out to see if he's alive? Because when we saw Jackson and Maya, it was dark still. Yeah, so now and, it's, and, now and shortly we, after that. Yes. That, I don't know what time it's supposed to be. I so then like, we is that all for this plot line? Well, we see Nate like rise dramatically from the yes. burned bodies of the undead who are all dead now. 
and Sarah is happy and pleased, and Nate wants to go raw. Well, understandably. Understandably. That's pretty gross. And yeah, now I mean, we now we get to what should be the we, important plot line. What we get to is a segment we did talk to you guys about in the beginning. So if this is a sensitive area of subject matter and you chose to keep listening to the podcast anyway, letting you know this is where our segment starts now, okay? Yeah, this is hard. And it's upsetting. I don't <laughs> want to say it should be upsetting. It's con- it's conflicting. Because obviously, <clears throat> you don't want them to shy away from the awfulness of this time. But set against- setting against these two mostly comedic side plots doesn't work. It doesn't seem... It's like putting tuna fish on peanut butter. Because Jax goes into the party... And this this made me really uncomfortable. Like oh. this is like I was scared. Like the hairs on my neck went up. Was like oh crap. He's walking into the party and he accidentally bumps into this white woman. Like he accidentally bumped into her. And he says, "I'm sorry, ma'am." And he's holding her hand. White, too. He's like, and he's holding her hand. But holding her hand is like oh I'm so sorry. Like I didn't mean to yeah. bump into you. And one of the white slave masters. Mr. Collins is his name. Mr. Collins. Unfortunately. Mr. Collins. And he keeps referring to Jax's boy, which is derogatory. And also... Miss Carlin, where are you now? And he says, did you look at this woman and, like, touch her, essentially? And Jax says, uh, no, I didn't. And He's accused of being a liar. And this is something <coughs> that has happened for a long time in Black history in America. Mm-hmm. It was Black men being accused of, quote unquote, assaulting a white woman yeah. and being brutally punished for it. And many times, and I want to make this clear, many times white women were complicit in this or even made up the accusation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Central Park Five is a very out. good reason. So, I'm saying, like, both sides are complicit in this. White men Emmett and white Till. women. Emmett Till. Um, it is. It's, it's hard to watch. Stage. It's hard to watch because Jax apologizes and then he is taunted like, well, no one, no, well, none of my, none of my slaves own a no, they shouldn't talk back to me. And just keeps going in on him and then says that he wants Jax to learn a lesson. So he gives him to the other guy, this other guy who takes him out to the barn. Essentially and ties him, chains him to He chains him and you and they go back and what the first the thing the first shot shows me is that there was you see the back of one man who is chained already to a pole. <coughs> And Jax is chained up. And he's punched. Jax gets punched. Yeah, he's assaulted, hard. essentially. It is difficult <laughs> to sit through. Even though it's Hollywood and you know it's, it's not It's Hollywood real. and it's also like, this, this is terrible to say, it's the silly time travel show. Mm-hmm. One of the other slaves with Jax, again, this um, storyline is cut with the other two that we already covered, but when we cut mm-hmm. back, the other slaves are with um, Jax. We have Mary, who we discussed before. I, I try to find the name of the other guy 
but all I can find listed is just um, slave. Uh, wow. Slave. Yeah. I do want to point out that Martin does feel Jax's frustration yes. and his anger in this moment, too, and that he's never felt it like this before. <clears throat> and so, essentially, Jax is having conversation with the other slaves about how, do you, well, they say, like, look at your hands. Like, have you ever done a day of work in your life? Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing here? And they named for two famous slave owners, which I didn't realize until this episode, that you have Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson. I am, about this conversation that Jax has with the other slaves, I don't feel particularly, like, I don't think I can make judgments about this conversation. Me neither. my place. Um, all I will say, um, I mean, the actors are fantastic in this scene. All three of the ones talking to each other Mm -hmm. are excellent. I can't really comment on what they're saying. I just know that the last two minutes of this episode are essentially a retread of what this Mm -hmm. is. And that's why we're going to talk more about that that ending. Um, It does highlight, though, the difference between... Because here's the thing, I mean, Jax was a mechanic. He is still is a mechanic. He does hard work, but it's not comparable to what the other people, the other Black people in that barn at the time were going through. That's all I'm going to say on that point, but it just kind of highlights the difference in it. But moving on. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's essentially... Jeff doesn't understand why how they can just take this. And I mention this only because then they mention atrocities that have happened to slaves that have tried yeah. to escape, that Mr. Collins's dogs um, caught them, and that in the Mauled words them. of the slave, their manhoods were removed and they mm-hmm. were quote unquote hobbled so they could not escape. And it's just those are real things that happen. Yeah, and, to, and so to gloss over it is also like the frustrating part of this. Yeah, it's just like how it's also question. And question is like how in depth as like because as a white woman, I would not. I could. I don't. I could not go in depth there because that's not the thing I can relate to. I even if I did research, like I, I don't. I would not be. I'm not. I mean, I'm a white. I'm a white woman. We can't say to, what the world does not need to hear from me. Exactly. As I do a, as I do a podcast, which I recognize yeah. the irony of. But also, like, I can't say what the best answer is in this situation exactly. at all. I can just comment on this, what it's given to me. Now this is how you're me. perceiving it. Yes. After this discussion, Amaya's like, I'm not waiting. I'm gonna go get him. And so Amaya walks into the party. She does, um, this is also really uncomfortable, is then she starts being sexually harassed. Ugh, but all the, okay, the, the Southern Belle voice that she puts on for this, that was, that was, I will say that was a seamless performance by Maisie. Maisie but it's is also incredible. Maisie, again, Maisie just came on this show and she shined immediately. And seeing about how Amaya grows Maisie. from the serious 
JSA woman to learning about history and being able to empathize with people who are living these times. Maisie, as we say, we um that Amaya fills the snart role. Amaya mm-hmm. and this Maisie elevate the show. Mm-hmm. Without her, the season is not as good. I don't think there's anyone else who could have played that role better, who could have brought that life to that character. Exactly. And improved it. Now, this is during the scene, during the scene, like she, I, I don't want to say play along, because that's not what this is, but she is essentially. She's undercover, essentially. She is undercover. And he, um, this, um, this other guy, brings her back to the barn saying that Mr. Collins would like you which is again at the midnight hour which I can connect the dots and um yeah it's it's, again it's not a good picture again something else that's happened in history a lot it's a a lot frequently gloss over yeah exactly who I was thinking of um incredibly glossed over there it's and I mean that is a difficult issue when you're teach when into in education and how to put that out there. But, but but that's something that eventually the older you get, the more you need that you steadily understand how how awful and monstrous white people were. What white slave owners were, sorry. And even mm-hmm. people who are participated in the racism and the mindset they adopted. Even if you are not consciously engaging in white supremacy acts, you white people benefit from the exactly. social societal structures that white supremacy has put in place. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we actively try and educate ourselves and undo our own prejudices and undo our undo our complicity as much as we are humanly able to do, because really it's so ingrained in society that. Um, I had a really, um, in college, I had a teacher who said it best is that it's so ingrained in society that white people are stuff will suffer and are prejudiced and taught to be prejudiced. I know that might make some of you mad, some of you mad, but case in point, look at your life. And it's just once you recognize that, it's just learning how do I need to use my privilege? How do I need to, how, what can I do? How do I unlearn these things? These are, again, these are themes that we look at in later seasons of Legends. Because this one doesn't, but this episode does mm-hmm. have a Maya kicking the shit out of this racist, which is good. Listen, any racist that gets the shit kicked out of them is, it's it's worth, it, it just, it's just like, it feels like, um, it's just like, oh. That's good. Anyway, so she kicks the shit out of this racist, and then Mary, a slave, like she looks at her totem and says, "You're from Zambezi." My she's a Zambezi from- warrior. Yeah, that's what she calls. My called mother's her. from there. Yeah, and she's immediately tells everyone else, "Hey, we can trust her. She's going to keep us safe." Which I think and by default they end up moment. trusting Jacks too. Yeah, I that is one moment I do I like seeing that connection that happens there it's it makes a good you wish for more more of the connection more of the connection yes not, yes like yeah, I mean. yeah. yeah like that kind of again 
this is a step up, step up for Might of the Hawk and that there are other Black people yeah, in the and episode. Just, and just hearing that is just remembering that. And just when you hear that, you realize that Zambezi was also, it's because Amaya said her village was very um, closed off from the outside world, yet as this woman's mother chose, she was not immune to people who would, who would kidnap, abduct people, and put them on ships in terrible conditions, and so, uh, some who would not make it to across the ocean, whether it was by illness, by brutality, or by their choice. It just it highlights that even more for me when yeah. I think about that, and just how many people suffered mm-hmm. because of greed and of the another of lingering another effects of that to this day. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so with this scene is Jack's kind of doing a one of you of Amaya saying, well, what do you mean? Like, we can't save these people. You said this is the mission. I feel like, okay, I want to say, first of all, <coughs> Brown's given great performance this episode. Not yes. that he's ever not putting his all into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but this like, is definitely, he's, he, yeah. he, 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 he grabbed that moment and he held it tight. However, I think the line writing the real aberration is this. It was like, we could have written this differently. Like, I get the sentiment. It's It's just like... And here's the thing. The real monsters are us. (laughs) It's it's like Jack's... At the same time, I was like, it's hard because when you have horrific events of history, we've talked about this before, you it's like how does history change is the fact should they have happened no but what is the ripple effect mm-hmm. and um the thing is like it's only now it's only one one plantation owner's house and the people who are forced to work under him mm-hmm. what about everywhere else though and so that brings me to a part that kind of pissed me off so they get back to the house because the zombies are coming yeah i i do the moment where jacks opens the barn door and then closes it really fast <laughs> and sees the zombies right outside i thought so um if there's any walking dead fans listening to this podcast again i've only watched the first two seasons of the show i stopped before dale died because i had grown emotionally attached to dale and i knew he was going to eat it soon so i it kind of reminds me of Herschel's Barn. I'll just say that, but like a reverse of Herschel's Barn. Instead of trying to keep, instead of not going in the barn, they're staying in the barn now. So, but they got to get to the house. They got to get to the house. Uh, we will talk about this film, but it's very Night of the Living Dead. This little segment, Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. takes place over the span of like twelve hours, which is technically their plot time during the zombies, mm-hmm. but. So, okay, they get into the house. Zombies are eating people. Great. <laughs> like, we don't, it's kind of nice we don't have to feel bad for anybody because they're all awful people. Mm-hmm. But even like Jack, like, so Jack's, uh, the other slave gives him the plans. Which were in the back of a painting, which really, I thought that was kind of brilliant. And then Jack's like, sees Mr. Collins like trying to fight a zombie. And it's like, we need to work together to stop these zombies. It was like, what are you, what are you doing? He's very, doing that, he's incredibly empathetic here. Like, he's willing to look <laughs> over how this man 
has a set has has demeaned him, insulted him, said something. They watched him assault this woman. Yeah. And still Jax offers his hand out to him. I still think that's offers this olive branch. Colin says, screw it, and then and then immediately he's jumped by a zombie. Very poetic. It's very nice, very good. And then that's and then, when, the, so they run upstairs, which I had a moment yeah. of like, why are we going upstairs? Well, I realized that's to get the plans. Are the plans upstairs? No, they, they already got the plans downstairs. Oh yeah, not. so they just ran upstairs. Well, because there's zombies all over the floor and the bottom. I don't want to be down there. That's but, true. Um, and it's like the, the double staircase. Yeah. So it's there's a vantage so cool. point. And but. so Jax takes the oil lamp and just throws it into the zombie mess. Just smashes it down. Party's over. So and good. you have that very fireball that comes up, which mm-hmm. there's I don't a very know how accurate that is. That's, very, know, pyro- it that's cool. very pyrotechnic of them, I thought. And then there's like almost poignant moment where Amaya's like, we have to go. Like, they're all back outside. Says, we, mm-hmm. we have to go. Jack's As the waiting. plantation house is burning down. And Jack and, says, no, I, I want to watch. Yeah. He wants to watch it. I don't And that, it takes him in as like, okay, I'm good now. And I feel like it was, I mean, I can't speak for what the full bill, I feel like it was kind of a therapy, almost borderline therapeutic for him to just see a place where so much abuse and dehumanization happened go up in flames and take those people who helped perpetrate those actions against Black people also go up in flames. Um, so Amaya and Jax end up taking the rest of the slaves from the plantation to Grant's camp where yeah. they're set up and given safety. That's the end of that plot line. Now we, okay, let's quickly talk about Ray and Mick, and then we'll end on the school special. So Mick is sitting in his man cave, cave with sexy ladies. I'm not, floor. listen, if this was the writer's attempt, this is the writer saying, this is a straight man, a straight man, a straight man. We got a gym set. We got we got a little bot. We got a little boxing target. We got pinups. It is so we much. Got a le- we got a leather chair. We got beer. This is a man. It is a, it's the gayest part of the episode. <laughs> because so Ray comes in like hey, hey Mick, the Kalazem of it all. Uh, he's like, hey Mick, how are you doing? I brought you a burger. Hey, bro. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, he just, he's checking up on him. Nick's like, well, I don't feel like eating your brain. And he's like, oh, well, what about a burger instead? Um, yeah, Ray kind of says something like, well, I don't know, like, without the suit, I don't know how valuable I'll be to the team. And then Mick just kind of looks at him. And then I like that Nick, that. Nick says, well, you're an outsider now. That's the greatest thing you can be. Outsiders don't get to take crap for anyone. You just tell people what you want to do. And then he opens up the case. The, yes. This, and This belonged to the greatest outsider I knew. I miss him. Mm-hmm. I miss him so much. 
And then he looks what does at it mean when you carry around your um dead soulmate's gun. Now, what we use soulmate is entirely up to you platonic, non platonic. There's a question here that's love, baby. That's love, baby. And he has the gun in his hand, and then Officer Durant says, I'm looking for a partner. That's good stuff. This is, if there are good things in this episode, it's the makeup and this scene. Yeah. So it's, 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 and this is kind of something I think that was kind of put in at the end to like push that plot into the next episode so we have something to hang on to. Um, and Ray, of course, looking at the gun says, cool. cool. Not that it, I mean, in, in his defense, the guns were designed by Cisco in the first place. And it, it's, I mean, remembering now that the cold gun was originally developed to stop Barry in case he came out of that coma not friendly. And now we get to the last two minutes of the episode, which I gotta say, these are two entirely useless minutes. I say this like, okay. It just, it was very, it was also we, weird that Jax was talking about his mother in the past tense. Yeah. Like, it felt like past tense. It just, I don't know why, it just kind of felt really weird. It was just this weird, these last two minutes, we've gone from an attempt at trying to say something about racism in the past to now we're preaching to the audience. Have hope. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just two minutes of preaching. Like, I don't know what else to say. And it's really interesting to watch this because it feels like very loaded words coming from Martin. Because Martin is a Jewish character. Mm Martin is saying Jewish. But they don't mention um, that much. Well, we only mention it when it's convenient, apparently. It's a plot. Um, Flash, I'm looking at you. Legends, I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. Arrow, you never give a shit. (laughs) Arrow, don't give a shit. Sorry, but um, it's very, it's kind of interesting hearing Martin talk to Jax about this darkest moment of history, considering um, um, five years before Martin's own birth, one of the most horrific genocides ended, what was coming to an end five years before, before Martin's birth. It's essentially what we just talked about 10 minutes ago in the episode, and they're telling... Again, like, this episode feels rushed. Like, they wrote these last two minutes as, like, God, we got to get it to 41 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it... And we had that... Earlier, they had followed the Kingdom Gord being sung. And then it's, again, we hear a reprise of it singing as we slowly zoom out of the Wave Rider. And, and that was just... It felt very heavy-handed. I remember learning about that in fourth grade, and it just kind of... Yeah, brought me back to that and just I understand the sentiment behind it I do it just like like you were saying it's so heavy handed and it's not it's not trying to say anything new or poignant it's just like as you were saying like fourth grade very simple slavery is bad racism bad Mm -hmm. Um, do better and, yeah, like, no, it doesn't no, we're, try to do anything. Yeah, and we're not saying like this topic is not something that should is something that should not have been the episode. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But the care that could have been given to it, and I'm not saying that um, 
if you're if if you're black um or brown you don't your your job is not to teach us your job is not to teach mm-hmm. us but there should and, and we should and honestly i think this episode should have helped been helped to a higher standard by the writers mm-hmm. and doing that thoughtful research yeah because ending on this really serious somber preachy note playing um the song right after literally 15 minutes ago goofy zombie side plot is just like a tonal shift as a wily coyote explosion it doesn't sit well Mm -mm. and that's just where the episode ends like i don't know how they could have ended it yeah this again like you said at the beginning this was definitely one that was tacked on you can feel it yeah the legion because you know like the Legion of Doom, or they're not the Legion of Doom yet, but we don't see mm-hmm. Aobard or um. Da- we or see Dark. them next episode, though. We're gonna see we them do, next but episode. we don't see them in Shogun, which no. I think Shogun was like that was part of the pre-written episodes, like that sets up Nate's powers and Ray's. Suit. Yeah, while we this one, seen, I feel like parts of stuff were country. cut around. Like it's, I think there was definitely some cutting work done and mashing stuff together stretching things out mm-hmm. so any other thoughts about this episode for right now as we wrap up i got nothing for now right. but you have a segment for us i do it is my turn for teachable um segment time we both got to teach something but uh mary gets to teach you something else beyond um henry scott I get to talk about one of my favorite things, which is horror movies. I love horror in all of its forms. And we are going to talk today about the zombie genre in America as we know it and how the modern zombie film, modern horror essentially, all stems from a 1968 movie with a black lead. So we need to go very far back for this. Kate. Do you know where the origins of the term zombie comes from? I, the, the origins of the term zombie. Well, unfortunately, I'm not very good with my word roots, but um, I want to, I, I don't really have an answer. That's okay. Go for it. I so, feel like there was some origination around the South, though, I feel. In, uh, might be, that might be a misconception of mine, though. It comes from Haitian culture. So ah, yes. Specifically in Haiti, uh, there is some Haitian culture within uh, the U.S., particularly like in the Louisiana region. And so uh, I have tried, I've done a lot of research. So if I get some of these things wrong, I apologize. Sources are kind of messy. So the term zombie itself, it's from Haitian culture. It stems from kind of two words the Congo language it stems from the word for god slash kind of soul and zombie and also like a similar word for I'm gonna say fetish but I don't mean like fetish doesn't mean fetish can have two symbolisms one is yeah. like a sexual enjoyment of a thing but That's also this. traditionally the term fetish can also mean and it's an inanimate object worshipped for like magic powers or it's considered to house a spirit that's why um when i say fetish i mean in that so zombie kind of comes from two terms put together 
Uh, it is derived from Haitian voodoo culture and practices. Uh, voodoo is a, com uh, is a religion that has some basis in Christianity, some basis in uh, traditional African culture, and uh, also just the slave culture in Haiti at the time. So in uh, this culture, a zombie is essentially a being is essentially like an un, uh, a being outside of itself. A zombie exists as a slave to their necromancer. So the person that has risen them from the dead, if a person has not been taken to the afterlife yet. I am condensing a lot of things here. I really encourage you to research this because it is absolutely fascinating and kind of a culture that we don't have a lot of access to, or um, we'd have, which I will get into the Hollywood version of what voodoo is, which is not the actual practice. So a zombie exists essentially, yeah, as a slave, as I said, to their necromancer, the person that created them, or as they will just simply do bidding. They have no conscious thought of their own. Their um, mind does not belong to them. Their body belongs to their master. Uh, if they're not saved, you can save a zombie in some uh, folklore by um, feeding it salt, and then that kind of revives them. But if they are not saved, then they will remain a zombie in death forever. Um, a lot of this, um, this is a trigger warning for suicide. So if you can skip ahead a few, uh, like a minute, go ahead. Part of the origins of the term zombie comes from Haitian, uh, bless you, uh, Haitian uh, slave, um, slave drivers who were often slaves themselves and also voodoo practitioners because one of the only ways a slave had agency over themselves was through suicide. So using this concept of a zombie to deter them from suicide, meaning if you do this, you will still have to serve a master in death forever, which is really heavy, really interesting um, uh, culture. Now, by 1932, as Kate picked up on, there is a movie called White Zombie for <laughs> reasons that will be very clear. Made in the 1930s monster movie, Bela Lugosi is a zombie, quote unquote, master, a white man who makes white zombies in Haiti. One of them is the woman that he's into. Anyway, that's basically what we knew what the culture of zombie was at the time. It was still very based. So we think of zombies now as very like a scientific thing. A zombie is created through a virus or through a mutagen that's gone bad. Uh, so we think of like a lot of modern zombie, but originally mm -hmm. zombies are very spiritual. This, everything is going to change. Uh, one of the other major additions of white zombie is one of the first uses of voodoo in film and how this is one of the first films that casts voodoo itself as a quote unquote dark religion or evil religion, which it is not. It's just put that way because white people don't understand it. <laughs> has so many things. Uh, the book I Am Legend comes out around this time, The Omega Man. These are other like kind of concepts based around the idea of a zombie. And then everything changes in 1968 with George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Mm 
which ah. is a film that still holds I watched again this weekend for research it is it still holds up it feels like a modern film shot entirely in black and white made on a skimpy budget hundred thousand dollars nice so like nothing and it was made in black and white because they couldn't afford color but most tvs during that time if you had a tv in your house it was in black and white so they would broadcast mm -hmm. the news in black and white so a lot of night of living dead feels like a news report they're constantly cutting back to so kind of a war of the worlds in a way it does feel like that at times now kind of at this time with uh night of living dead they're actually not called zombies they are ghouls which eventually critics and like crowds dub it zombies but george romero when he's making it was like i just thought of zombie as the thing in white zombie but eventually like it comes across to this new era so part of the thing that makes this movie really scary in its context well, one reason is in 1968, there aren't, we talked about established zombie rules. Those don't exist in 1968. People seeing this movie, people in the movie themselves have no idea what's happening. They don't know you have to shoot it in the head or set it on fire or something. So you are literally learning the rules along with everybody. But what Night of the Living Dead does in 1968 is cast a black man, Dwayne Jones, in the lead. Uh, I really highly nice. recommend, um, there's a documentary called Horror Noir on Shudder and AMC Plus that talks about the history of the Black experience in horror. Amazing documentary, go check it out. Uh, Romero has said um, that he'd written this role for a white man. Like, he hadn't written it with race really in mind, but it's 1968, pretty much de facto white dudes. But Dwayne Jones shows up and he is like, he's been to the Sorbonne. He was an English professor. He did acting. He had a master's. And he came into an audition and George Romero said, he's the best actor. He's also the only black man, only character of color in that movie. Hmm. So originally that character yeah. was written as kind of this uneducated truck driver, but Dwayne Jones said, well, no, like I'm theater trained, baby. Like, yeah. and he gives this whole monologue about encountering zombies in his truck. And it's just incredible and again is the bears pointing out in 1968 it is still incredibly difficult for black actors to get roles that aren't stereotypical exactly that aren't side characters but Dwayne Jones his character's name is Ben he is the <coughs> hero he is first he's very handsome and he is in charge he's the one telling all the that, so basically Night of Living Dead everyone ends up in this farmhouse trying to escape the zombies makes sense and Dwayne Jones as uh, uh, Ben is like hey listen like he has this great line where he tells kind of the asshole in the house he's like hey you stay down in the cellar where you wanted to be you're boss down there I'm boss up here I love it and in 1968 he's a black man who is in charge he is caring he is empathetic he is the smartest character He's boarding up all the windows. He's telling people what they need to do. He calls people out on their bullshit. He is such an incredible protagonist. Now, the movie ends. Everyone else is dead. He could not save anybody. Like, he desperately tries to, but 
the zombies are all they have taken everybody in the house everyone was turned into a zombie now on the news earlier we'd seen that like all law enforcement officials are out taking care of business like picking off these zombies and so Dwayne Jones like he gets up he's been in the basement avoiding the zombies he's still alive he goes upstairs He's looking through the window to see like, oh my God, like it's finally daytime. So like much like this episode in 12 hours, pretty much all this chaos has happened. And he's got his rifle with him and he looks out the window to see what's going on. And the posse goes, all right, yeah, like hit him, uh, eight oh, no. head, and they kill him. Damn it. The last five minutes, like our protagonist that we've been watching for pretty much the whole movie, who is the one making all the good choices really like trying to save people that do not care about him that really speaks to um america how american how hollywood operates and continues to perpetuate racism right there a little bit i'd say but that's the thing that's so kind of incredible is yeah when this role was written again this is one of those moments in colorblind casting where it works that yeah. this was supposed to happen if the character was white. But because Dwayne Jones is a black man, he's an incredible actor. You're yeah. rooting for him the whole time. It's more impactful. And he is murdered by a white, white southern mob. And then at the end, the end, you don't even watch video. You just see pictures that are really gruesome, like without showing blood of just this posse going in, like, loading zombie bodies into a fire, <laughs> and he's just one of them. That's horrible. Now, but Mara I just... talks about one of the reasons I know Living Dead has lasted, like, it's impactful for all of those reasons. But Romero tells the story of they finished the movie that day, putting the reels in the trunk of their car, and oh, we're just no. driving to New York City, like, all right, we're going to go sell our this movie. Somebody's got to buy it. <clears throat> on the drive, on the radio, there's an emergency broadcast that Martin Luther King Jr. has been assassinated. Oh, my God. Oh, my and God. And so they have inadvertently made such a political statement. Oh, my God. This is part of the reason it's lasted so long. That, yeah, I see that line. Um, well, so, I was going to the days and I was like, wait, wait, what happened there? So like 1968, he is, uh, as soon as it gets there, it is just an incredible film for all the yeah. things to do. And we talk about like, what do zombie movies tell us? Like when we watch a zombie movie, what do zombie movies tell us about ourselves? A lot of times horror is used for what are we scared of at this present time? And I'd argue, especially Night of the Living Dead, is that we're scared of each other. Is it that- puts the mirror, it puts the mirror, uh, horror puts the mirror back on ourselves. What are our, what, what are we like when we are pushed to the brink? Mm-hmm. What are the like, parts of ourselves we don't want to reveal to other people? Like zombies have often been used as metaphors for plague or for distrust. Like, you yeah, know. the zombies in Night of the Living Dead, like they're not speedy, fast zombies. They are very slow. <clears throat> But they're also like, but they know how to use tools. Most modern zombies that we have, are, you just, we think of the fast ones. They just run around and they just rip up flesh. The zombies in Night of the Living Dead, one of them is a little girl who ends up murdering oh. her mother in the film. Like as a zombie, 
no brain, but she picks up like a gardening trowel and murders her mother with it. Oh crap. And it's brutal. It's all in black and white. And so seeing that. Yeah, but it still looks brutal. Oh my gosh. So yeah, and zombie movies, like what do we learn like by the end of a zombie movie is that we don't help each other. (laughs) Is that at the end of the day, we we don't. We're so what does that say about us? And how can we strive to do better? Mm -hmm. So really Night of the Living Dead is the reason A, most modern zombie movies are made, but it's also the first modern horror movie. Yeah. It's uh, probably the last thing about <coughs> Night of the Living Dead that I find really funny. Is that <coughs> it was made before um, MPA codes are not a thing yet. Mm. So pretty much like if a movie came out, everyone just went generally. Yeah. There were some movies that were kind of scarier be like no we can't go see dracula it's gonna be too scary <laughs> but a lot of times because movies didn't have ratings you would just go like unless it was a dirty movie oh everyone of course. just went and so your little kids go to night of the living oh dead my gosh and so like there are stories of like that's one of the reasons the mpaa was created is because night oh. of the living dead was so scary. I never learned about this in my I can't remember learning about this in my film class. That's oh man, man, I wish my teacher had told me about this. Yeah, I did a living done at Dwayne Jones. Great. Just like so you don't want to write to now. Zombie culture. So it's amazing how zombie, the term itself is taken from black culture, quite literally whitewashed and white zombie. And then the birth of that modern genre as we see it today is in uh, Romero's movie. Romero would make a lot of other, would make sequels. Dawn of the Dead, which is his next one, is a satire on consumerism. Because all the zombies just keep coming back to the mall because, hey, they don't have brains anymore. But when they were alive, where did they go? Mall. This is what they did. It's, it's autopilot. Night of the Living Dead. Go watch it. It's 1968. It feels super modern. And it's actually part of the public domain now. Oh, nice. <clears throat> Thank you for my little teaching segment. Hope we've all learned that things was, today. That was fascinating. I did not, I am not a horror movie aficionado, so oh, that's probably why we didn't talk about it in class that I just realized that. <laughs> now we don't talk about it because it's a horror movie. But, oh, man. Let's talk about, all right, Kate, where are we going to rank right. abominations? All right, um, ranking of abominations. So. Plot management, mm, not great. Um, tone management, you're right. The tone is really off. I would say this one's at, this one's kind of nearing the bottom. We're circling the bottom here with this one. Um, and also to the season itself, it offers nothing of substance too. I think that's kind of one of my major issues with it upon rewatch. The, the only thing is we get the two minutes of Ray finding himself again or finding a new role for himself I should mm-hmm. say so I would write this one at the bottom so it's out of time Shogun which I moved down a couple spots based on what we talked about earlier for the podcast um and then JSA actually I don't know JS, JSA and Shogun might end up switching later I gotta see how we progress the season and how my feelings are the further we get away from it Mm-hmm. But Abominations is kind of near the bottom right now. Will it remain at the bottom? At the very bottom? Who knows? 
Uh, I'm going to agree with you, especially when you mention something along the lines of this furthers nothing. I am a huge fan of filler episodes. I love a good yeah, filler episode. Exactly. Filler episodes but this is great. Maroon was a filler episode and that was fantastic. But this, we joke, it's an after school special. They it's almost, really. If it was try. not that scene at the end, it would be considered a bottle episode. But, like, this as a filler episode does, like, we don't, yeah, it doesn't further the plot. It doesn't really further any of the characters except the two minutes of Ray and Mick. Yeah. It doesn't, like, this doesn't really come up a lot for Jackson Amaya. No. Again, like. At least in my opinion, no. Also, there's not suffer. I'm not saying I want them to suffer trauma of what's No! Never. Like obviously like exploiting black <laughs> trauma no but mm-hmm. like this horrible thing's just not brought up again well and that's the thing we see the same with night of the hawk i mean how when was that's not really brought up again yeah and again it kind of just reinforces in here what we talked about um last season how jacks is put into these situations although this time this was him going in but this was not an outcome he anticipated happening yeah. So I, I'm going to rank Abominations at the bottom. And I think it might sit there. There's a couple of other episodes in this season I that aren't my favorite, but this is pretty mm-hmm. solidly at the bottom. I do think I like this one a lot less than Night of... Night, I don't know. Because no, neither of them are good. No. Um, what? Uh, no, never mind. There's I'm not going to compare the two. I'm just going to say they're both not great. Let's just say, um, I mean, we'll have, I mean, we have our bottom of the barrel in every season. And whether this stays at the bottom of the barrel remains to be seen for mm-hmm. me because it's been so long since I've seen the other episodes. But um, I know Chicago Way will be above that one. That'll be fun. I'm but so anyway. Uh, I would just put, I think above this one, I put the JSA one. I put JSA like second to last purely because I think the biggest crime outside of being offensive, like this episode, is just being kind of boring. Yeah, I, I mean, feel like I was, I was checking my screen is like, we need to progress, progress this. I'm, it took a while for me to feel engaged with this episode. Yeah, so then I'll put JSA above this one. I'll put Shogun above this. I, I, I feel like Shogun and JSA have switched. I I feel like I've said this in a previous episode. I feel like the second half <laughs> of season two is actually very strong. Yeah. And it gets I mean, off to a real rough start. Right now, I'm going to say out of time, by the end of the season, out of time, our premiere episode will be in my top five. I think so, too. Because Out of Time, unlike this episode, nails the tone. It does. Nails the tone. It's got, like, a serious, it's got a few serious yeah. moments. It lets them breathe. And then we keep I, going. I've mentioned this before. I think season two is a tra- is kind of that transitional season where Legends is still trying to find their footing. Because we've accepted this point. We're not going to be Arrow. Are we going to be, like, The Flash, where we're going to be kind of lighthearted, but we get serious sometimes? And I think that's what we're trying to um, get on that tone right now. Yep, and then so... And I think, and I think Supergirl was also trying to emulate that Flash tone with their first season of the CW. 
I was gonna say like their first CW season. I think because yeah, it's I didn't watch Supergirl consistently after season one. I just I just forgot. Same here. I I mean but, I I should sit down one day and give it a shot, but I did have some I had some issues with some things in season two of Supergirl um, regarding certain characters. <laughs> They're both um, better than Gotham. I do. What are I, they? <laughs> I do. I do love seeing Alex's journey in season two of Supergirl, and I think mm-hmm. and that was really that was really great to see. And um, at the Mon time L when I was there, huh? Mon L was there. Mon L, Mon Snow. Sorry. <laughs> with, um, sorry. Sorry. All right, listen, Chris yeah. Woods is a great guy. Monel was not my favorite character. Okay, cool. All right. Are you um, anything else to wrap up this episode? No, but what's coming up next week? So, Mary, what's on the agenda for next week? Next week, we are looking at season two, episode five, Compromised. Uh, better known as the Reagan episode. So. The Reagan episode. We had the return of some friendly, familiar faces. Including one we haven't seen since season one. If you thought Reconstruction, the Civil War, <clears throat> affects America's problems today, wait till we get to Reagan. <laughs> as as I remember, my one of my one of my teachers called it Reaganomics. Yep. Eventually, we'll get to something a little bit better, but we are going to take just a quick moment to highlight a charity for the moment. Uh, we would like to. We would like to highlight the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make just a small donation and it makes such a great difference. You can choose to make a one-time, you can do a one-time donation or a recurring donation. It's up to you. You can pick a set amount, uh, a set amount to donate as well. Um, Information is on there. And but yeah, also if you're able to donate blood please we encourage you to do that as well it goes to it that's something that you know if it gets in short supply and people really need it they can use it so if you're um, able to yeah if you're able to donate blood if you're able or if you're able to um donate a little bit to this charity we'll have a link to the charity both in this episode description and we'll put a post a link to it on our twitter as well Yes. So again, we just want to thank you for being with us for this episode. I know it was a, a lot of ups and downs, much like the episode itself. And yep. we look forward to seeing you again. So to close us out, I'm your host, Mary. And I'm Kate. And you didn't send her love. And we will see you some other week. Bye. Bye. Bye.